This is Reveal, the revenue intelligence podcast, here to help go-to-market leaders do one thing, stop guessing. If you're ready to unlock reality and reach your potential, then this show is for you. I'm Sheena Badani. And I'm Devin Reed, coming to you from the Gong Studios. Hey, Devin here. We cover a lot of ground over the course of a year at Gong, specifically through our Gong Labs series, where I publish findings from our data research team. We analyze sales conversations and deals using AI, then share the results to help you close more revenue. And what we like to do every once in a while is look over the most impactful tips that we've uncovered. In this bonus episode, I want to share some of the best data-backed tips we've discovered through our Gong Labs research over the past year. These are three tips you need to know if you want to thrive in 2022. Let's dive in. Tip number one is never negotiate over email. Maybe it sounds familiar. You're at the end of the month. I was at the end of a quarter a couple of years back. And I was kind of up on the ropes trying to get this deal done. And I needed the deal to get to quota, right? And I got the, uh, the famous, you know, send me your best and final. Uh, and my buyer was going to go over to the CFO, uh, present that option. Uh, and in my perspective, sign the deal. What really happened was that they used that offer for a competing offer and they ended up choosing the other person. And the worst part is they didn't even tell me for like three or four weeks. I got absolutely ghosted at the finish line. And there's a few things worse than sending a best and final over email only to get crickets as a response. And so I had made this mistake before. And what's funny is even in my mind, I knew this was not the right thing to do, right? I knew I wanted to get him on a call, but maybe I was being lazy. Maybe I was short on time, maybe both. But at the end, I didn't win the deal. And that's what sparked the analysis that we're going to jump into is I wanted to know, hey, is this a one-off thing? Just this buyer, just this deal, just me? Or is this something that's happening across the board for salespeople? Another thing to consider before we get to the data, 50% of written communication is misunderstood by the recipient. That's half. Every other email, every other text message is misunderstood by the recipient. Maybe that's why uh, arguing over text is such a bad idea. I never win those. But it's key to understand is you're not going to be able to get what you're trying to say across as effectively when you over rely on email. Sean, great point here. Nothing worse than panicking and not staying disciplined. Exactly. That's really what this comes down to. And here's the data to show it. So what we did is we analyzed around 37,000 sales deals. And we specifically looked at how does emailing price affect win rates. Now, this is a correlation here, but there's stronger correlations and weaker ones. This was a strong correlation. Win rates spike once you share pricing. Spikes a little bit more as you continue on, but once you hit 10% of all of the emails, so think of all the emails you send in a deal, when 10% or more include price, you start to see that drop off in win rates. Now you're probably wondering what's happening in those, those first few emails. It's not uncommon for, you know, get off a discovery call, demo, whatever, you know, whatever it is kind of in your specific sales process and maybe email your pricing sheet. Maybe it's, maybe it's online and very public. Maybe you have a template that your team you know, wants you to share. Uh, maybe it's just a couple of quick numbers based on the conversation to give a ballpark pricing. The data shows that that's okay, right? We know that people need to see pricing to buy something, whether it's spoken or written. And so that's a good thing. But what you need to look out for is where win rates start to fall is where negotiations begin, right? So there's a difference between sharing price and negotiating. And if you're curious on what that difference is, it's once your buyer asks for anything, anything at all, 
negotiations have begun. And so the key here is you're going to want to figure out a way. Okay, once I'm aware of that signal, once it happens when they ask for anything, and it could be obvious. It could be something obvious like, hey, Michael, do you have a, a 20% discount I can get? Right? Obviously, we're negotiating. It couldn't be more clear. But sometimes it's a little bit more covert or it's a little more hidden. And it could be things like, hey, do you offer net 60? Just wondering. Or, hey, you know, do you offer net 60? My finance team cares. That is also negotiating. That is an ask. And you want to make sure that you're not uh, jumping the gun there. What if they refuse to get on a call? All right, here we go. So we'll get into what to do next. Great. Let's get into action, right? So the first thing is you want an action plan for how you're going to share price and negotiate. First thing is if you share price over email, it's all good. We just covered that. The next part is when the negotiation begins and it will, pro and it's almost inevitable that once you share price, someone's going to ask for something. If it's a real deal, right? People are going to want to talk through it. You're going to want to move the negotiation to phone. And then when you're done with negotiation and phone in a live conversation, that's where you're going to want to confirm via email. That's very important. Now, the reason why the phone is so important is there's, there's a lot of different reasons. We talked about loss of meaning or misunderstood. The other thing is when you email pricing, you put the ball in their court to take as long as they'd like, right? So they could take days, they could take weeks to get back to you. And what that does is it extends your sales cycle, slows down your momentum. And we all know that time kills deals. So what you want to do is get them on a phone call where you can hash it out quickly. And it's okay if it's over a couple conversations with multiple people, especially if you're selling large deals. What you want to do is make sure you get them on the phone. There's a lot of questions in here. What if I can't get my customer on a call? What if they're not ready? I'm going to share an extremely simple and highly effective sales template or email template that I would use. So once I get that ask, here's what I, here's what I would say. Hey, Rodney, totally makes sense. Totally makes sense as any you know, kind of ask. I'm validating and that will vary a little bit. Let's hop on a quick call to align pricing with your budget plus answer any questions. I'm sure we can knock this out in seven to nine minutes tops. That was tomorrow at 4 p.m. work. Now, the point here is to make it a quick and easy email to say yes to. There's not much thinking that Rodney has to do here, right? I'm validating. I'm saying, hey, let's make sure that your budget, something he cares about, he cares about pricing and his budget. That's what he wants to align on. So it's not about me. I'm sure we can knock this out in seven to nine minutes tops. Less than 10 minutes makes it seem like a very easy lift. Obviously, if, it's gonna, if you know it's gonna take a lot more than that in time, be honest and upfront, but the goal is to keep it as simple as possible. So steal this email template and it's gonna help you tremendously with your negotiation. So our sales tip number two is beware of selling with slides. Now there's a reason that they call it death by PowerPoint and uh, we're gonna get into it here. But what was curious was, Going back to those early days of uh, selling a gong, like I mentioned, there's only a couple sales reps in a room. We're trying to figure out what does a good discovery call look like? How do we get to demo, right? These are very early days and we didn't have a lot of data yet to really look at. And so I noticed that Brian next to me always had a discovery call deck, always used it for his discovery calls. Me on the other hand, I never used them. I, I didn't personally like using them. I didn't think they were necessary. And so I didn't do it. Brian was very successful. I had a lot of success. And so I was wondering if this really matters or not. And what could it mean at a broader scale? How does selling with slides specifically at the discovery phase impact win rates or your success rates? Here's what the data showed. Surprisingly, surprising to many, it, has a, it decreases your success rate. So selling with slides actually decreases your discovery call success rates. Now we looked at success, meaning did you earn a follow-up call? 
right? If you think about what is the number one goal of a discovery call is to move the deal forward, convert it to whatever is next in your sales process. And so we looked at it and saw that deals without slides dropped 17%. You're 17% less likely to get that follow-up call. Pretty shocking stuff here. We looked under the hood and said, okay, there's the broad stat, but what's really happening in these sales conversations to drop that success rate? And so we looked at the anatomy of what makes up every great discovery call, which is our sellers asking questions. Are they getting long answers from their prospects, right? Are they asking open-ended questions? And what does their talk time look like? Well, when people, when sellers are using slides on discovery calls, they're asking 21% less questions. And that's resulting to shorter monologues. So they're getting less information. They're not getting rich answers from their prospects that can help them land the deal. And as a result of not asking questions, they're not listening as much, meaning they're talking more, right? And so for three, these three reasons, you're starting to see that decrease there. You're talking to the slides, right? You're, you're presenting, but really a discovery call needs to be about talking to your prospect and gleaning information, getting information from them, things that are going to set the foundation for a really healthy deal. Here's a good quote from Lyndon B. Johnson. You aren't learning anything when you're talking. Right. And there's a reason why, you know, the, the best salespeople, you know, they're talking about 40% of the time around that range for discovery calls. Honest admission here. When I first joined Gong, I was a top performer at my previous company, top leaderboard, not number one, but I was top there a lot. And when I joined Gong, my first few calls, I was talking 80% of the time. I was dumping information, trying to, you know, oversell when really what I needed to be doing is asking more questions and listening more which is something Gong obviously helped me do. We talked about discovery. It's really important. If you got a call in 12 minutes, that will help you. Be weary, right? So if you're going to use slides, just make sure you're talking to your prospect and not overemphasizing the things on the slides. Now, tip number three, think twice before writing super short prospecting emails. Here's where this one came from. I was helping Gong rewrite some of our sales cadences about a year ago. And one of the emails that had the highest reply rates was a follow-up email that just said thoughts question mark it might have said you know hey donald any thoughts something to that effect it was just like two words one sentence and it had a really high response rate and so me being the competitive person i am i thought first of all thoughts seems kind of lazy i've never really been one to use it not against it if you do by the way but personal in my style i didn't really like that and the other part of me, the competitive side was, surely I can beat this, right? I can write something more compelling. Well, it turned out that I couldn't write something more compelling. We got lower response rates. So I thought, huh, that's kind of interesting. But what we all really want to know is after we put that, you know, we put our research and our time and our effort into that highly personalized first email, what's the best way to follow up? Is it a quick thoughts? Is it a single line email? Is it uh, rewriting the first one? Is it, you know, what could it be? And so what I wanted to uncover was the difference between emails with high response rates and emails with high ratings of booking meetings. Because a lot of times you can get someone say, unsubscribe, stop, don't email me anymore. That doesn't make it a good email. So we looked at about 300,000 sales emails. And what we wanted to look for again was that success metric. Are we getting meetings booked or not? And this was really surprising, at least surprising in the way of how much more effective longer emails are. So again, if you're looking at things like you're, you know, you're outbound emails and you're trying to book meetings and you're just looking at response rates, you might be looking at a false positive. In fact, what you want to look at is this template, is this outbound email, is this cadence actually helping me book meetings? 
because what it's saying here is one to two sentence emails, not doing the trick. Three sentence emails, not any better. But longer emails, four plus sentences, are 15 times more successful in helping you book that meeting. Pretty impactful stuff here. And so as always, whenever we're looking at data, it's always best to A-B test this with your own prospects, your own buyers, right? People are very different depending on who you're selling to and what you're selling, the cost, the complexity of evaluating what you sell. But this is really insightful. Now, four sentences, if you think about it, yes, people say it's really not much. Four sentences is enough to tell a story and to give someone something to chew on. Now, here's what I mean by that. If you just say thoughts, right? If I get a second, third prospecting email from you and it just says thoughts, well, you're asking me to do a lot of work as the prospect. I have to go, thoughts, do I have any? Well, I don't know. What am I thinking about? Then I have to scroll up to your past email. I have to read that email and then decide if I have any thoughts. And then think about what those thoughts are and then articulate them in an email. All those decisions are happening in a fraction of a second. And most people, especially busy executives, that's too high of a barrier. So it seems like we're making it super easy, but you're actually potentially adding a lot of work for them. So another way you can consider doing this is if you did put a lot of time into that first email is you can repackage it in a new way, reframe it. You don't want to copy and paste and be lazy because maybe someone read it, but didn't respond. But think of how can you present a prop? How can you present something personal to them? Something that's only specific to them. So if their colleague or another peer read it, it wouldn't apply. How can you present a problem that's also specific to them, a challenge that's going to drive urgency and interest? And then how can you provide, you know, the how, the how, you know, what your solution does. And again, it shouldn't be marketing jargon. It shouldn't be, you know, copy paste from your website. Here's four sentences on what we do. You want to make it about them and about their needs, their interests, and then how you can help. And then of course the CTA. So when you think about all those things, four to six sentences make sense. And some sentences can be longer, some can be shorter. And that's how you're going to want to shake up your email to make sure that it's compelling. Last thing I wanted to cover, we didn't just look at how long the email should be. We looked at a few common phrases. So these were phrases we, we isolated in emails and looked at how did it affect the meetings book rate. All of them had a, a lower meetings book rate, even though some had a higher response rate, things like thoughts. And I think just following up was the other one. But these are phrases you're going to want to avoid here. I never heard back from you. Oh, why are we throwing guilt and shade at our prospect? I'm just following up. I just called you. doesn't seem to work. But again, test it for yourself. This is what the data showed of 300,000 emails. My hope here is that it sparks you to go put your scientist hat on here and do some testing on your own. The bonus tip is teamwork makes the deal work. And really quickly, what we did is we looked at team selling. So you might've heard of lone wolf selling in the past. It's proven not to work. If you're an enterprise rep hearing this, team selling is something that's been around for a really long time. And what this data shows is that it is in fact a fantastic strategy because when you look at no team selling, 15%, that's lone wolf selling, your win rates double when you add a persona. Personas are people like an executive, a sales leader or manager, customer success, sales engineer. And then win rates continue to rise as you get to two personas and three personas or more. And so this is fantastic because as you are, if you're trying to uh, go up market, if you're trying to close more complex deals, if you want to just increase your win rate, even if you're at an SMB or commercial team, you're definitely going to win more deals when you win as a team. And there's something great, uh, you know, a lot of sales leaders say, but you, know, you never lose a loan. If you have a high profile deal, really any medium to large deal for whatever your segment is, it's always more advantageous to loop in another internal expert who can help you sell. Customer success, they can talk about the post-sales journey. Sales engineers can talk about technical components better than we can. 
typically as salespeople. Sales executives, you can use your executive to align to their executive. That's how you can get above the line there and get to a VP or C-level. If you want more of the latest revenue intelligence insights, head over to Gong Labs at gong.io slash blog. If you like what you heard today, give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever it is you're listening. <laughs>